So the way of practice, we're developing mindfulness constantly. Practicing mindfulness, we're bringing attention back to ourselves, getting to know ourselves. As Ajahn Chah would often ask, do you know yourself? The way the Buddha talked about a person, he divided them into five candors. So knowing ourselves is knowing these five candors, knowing the body, knowing the mind, as they are, in an unbiased way, unconfused way, which is why we practice mindfulness directed to this body, to this mind. We're coming to know the body and mind as conditioned things arise according to causes and conditions. Affected by conditions. As conditions change, then body and mind change. As soon as we bring our attention to this body and mind, that truth starts to become more apparent. This is where the delusion of self starts to fade and we get to know our real self as it is body and mind, or five candors, as they are, as impermanent, as dukkha, as without self. There was the conversation between the three bhikkhus who spent the rains asking each other how they spent the rains. And the first one answered, oh, I had a very good rains. I practiced and I didn't go out of the monastery the whole three months. And the other said, oh, very good. And the second bhikkhu said, I practiced, I was on retreat. I didn't leave my kuti or the area of my kuti the whole three months. The others praised him, very restrained, very mindful. The last one said, I didn't leave my five candors the whole three months. Wherever I was, my mind was focused on the five candors. And the other two praised, praised him, said, mm, this is very good. And that's our aims, wherever we are, whatever posture, we're constantly bringing awareness back to these five candors so that we can see them as they are in an undeluded, unconfused way. When we begin practice, we tend to have views and ideas about 
ourselves and we identify with them. <coughs> but these are not necessarily the true self or the true candors. <coughs> They're just ideas that we grasp at, projections. And they tend to be affected by the kilesis. We are biased. Some things we overlook, maybe we don't like to look at some aspects of these candors. Others we build up, play up as important. But the aim of our practice, developing mindfulness, is to develop the clarity to just see things as they are, know them as they are without delusion, adding anything on. This is why we're constantly practicing meditation, sitting, walking meditation, developing mindfulness. And also why we develop sila. As the Buddha reminded us, there's no chance to see the truth until the mind is at ease and without feelings of regret, remorse and guilt. This is why sila is the essential foundation for samadhi. We're learning to train in the precepts and the vinaya. Because the more we do that, it brings us sense of calm and ease, freedom from anxiety about our behavior, what we might have said and done. That's an experience in the present moment, even if we have transgressed sila in the past, the recent past or the distant past. The important thing is to be developing the intention to maintain sila in the present moment and to deal with past transgressions by establishing mindfulness, clarity and the intention to change, change our habits and our ways. So sila, the sila of a bhikkhu, as a cause for enlightenment, it isn't that they have to be pure from birth, never having done anything wrong, but they have to have the clarity to recognize right from wrong, good from evil, and have a conscience, hiriyotapa, and then act accordingly to avoid following evil intentions when evil intentions arise and to know to abandon them. So particularly micha sankapa, the unwholesome intentions around sensuality, particularly sexuality, but also based on different forms of greed, avarice, and then thoughts rooted in ill will and then cruelty. We're training to abandon those kind of intentions that would lead to break sila. If they arise, it's knowing these are intentions that should be abandoned, having that understanding 
of no fuzziness, no making up excuses in the mind, but a clear understanding that wrong thinking, micha sankapa, is to be abandoned, not to be indulged or held on to. As we do that, then sila becomes our normal way. It becomes normal to not break the precepts or seek to break the precepts. And if the intention to break precepts comes up, we recognize it and adjust accordingly, abandon that intention. This is based on also on the understanding that the candors are impermanent and not self. So we can train these candors, particularly you can train our intention and train mindfulness and wisdom. The candors are not fixed, so even if we have acquired and accumulated bad habits, negative habits in the past, these can be changed through practice, abandoning negative intentions, recognizing them and abandoning them. And this frees the mind up, gives it a sense of happiness and ease from which to start investigating the truth, developing the calm of samadhi and then training in insight. Our aim being to be able to see and observe the candors as they are so that the mind is no longer doubting or fumbling around with ideas and views about how we would like them to be or how they should be, but just witnessing them as they are and the mind becomes clear, anicca, dukkha, anatta. And what is in impermanent is to be let go of. We can't hold on to it anyway. And they condition things. If we condition them in the right way, with maga, with the path, sila samadhi panya, it'll bring the re result, the peace, the freedom from suffering that we naturally aspire to. So this is the path that we're developing, the path of investigating to see the truth, using sila samadhi panya as our tools, using the vinaya as our tools to train in the sila until it becomes our normal way, training in samadhis so that the mind knows how to calm down and maintain its mindfulness. and using the state of clarity to really investigate the truth so there's no doubt. As we find when we meditate, when the mind is calm to investigate the physical body, it's possible because the mind is calm, we can turn to 
examine the 32 parts, the four elements, and contemplate the asupa of the body, the unattractive nature, because the mind is calm. In the lay life, very difficult to do this because it's so busy, the mind is so busy, so many activities, and the world is bound up with sensuality, <coughs> both conscious and unconscious. We're constantly drawn into sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, following craving and attachment. So to steady the mind and in a calm and sober way reflect on the true nature of the body is very difficult. We might have heard the Dhamma or learnt it that the body is impermanent, unattractive, not self. But it generally remains on the level of ideas and ideas are not the Dhamma that will release the heart from suffering. They're a start but they're they're limited. We have to witness and investigate and reveal the truth to the mind through practice, developing insight. So in the monastic life we have a much better chance to do this, even though it requires the patience and the effort. We're coming to investigate the body as it is, and the candors as they are. And from that we can know the whole world. The, the way the Buddha talked about the world, we said it's the world is as your candors are right now. That's how you perceive and relate to the world. How your mind is makes the world for you. There's the world on the idea of, on the level of ideas and theories and knowledge, but still it's how your mind is relating to that. It's the conventional reality we believe in, and we believe in all kinds of things about the world, about the shape of the world and the climate. And we have descriptions of countries and people and places and so on. But really the world is our eyes seeing, our ears hearing, the mind experiencing thoughts and concepts right at this present moment. And it also depends how things are being conditioned, how your world is. So when you're conditioning the mind through the practice of sila and samadhi and panya, well your world might become quite peaceful and clear it also might become a little sad when you see the, the impermanence of it and the suffering that comes through delusion. But another time when the kilesas, craving and attachment, conditioning the mind, maybe your experience of the world is totally different. Maybe very hot, stirred up, desiring a lot of things, wanting a lot. The two people sitting right next to each other can have a, have a totally different experience of the world depending on how their candors are being conditioned at that time. 
One person can be very peaceful and blissful, one person can be very agitated, depending on their health, their feelings, their karma and so on. But we're looking back at this body and this, these candors, and then from that we're learning the nature of the world. So as we investigate the body, come to see its true nature, then we can't help but start to realize it's impermanent, it's dukkha, it's not self, it's without a fixed and lasting owner. And from that we can see the bodies of others the same in the material world around us, same. In the mental world, same. Feelings. Our feelings come and go according to conditions, just as the feelings of other people. Pleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Memories, thought formations, the same. If we keep returning to, particularly to the body, we're seeing what is obvious to us. Yeah. We identify with this body as me, mine, myself. We look at it, we clean it, we clothe it, feed it, think about it a lot, recognize it, recognize the bodies of others. We become attracted and averse to bodies, people we like, people we don't like, lust and hate and aversion arise particularly over this, the attachment to this body and then the pleasure of pain of this body. So if we keep investigating the body we're seeing the delusion of self how it forms and how the world is formed through this attachment. There's a lot of repeated investigation calming the mind and repeatedly going through those particular practices that we find help us to understand more clearly or see more clearly. It's the 32 parts, the corpse contemplations, or the contemplation of the four elements. At first we have to experiment a little bit to see what holds our attention. And as the attention holds, then the mental proliferation we normally have calms down. And the mind starts to see the body in a new light, tends to be more sober and often quite sad. Because we've seen that the nature of this body is just bound for old age, sickness and death. <clears throat> All beings are struggling with this fact trying to make as much comfort and happiness for themselves as they can, but inevitably having to face the, the fact of old age, sickness and death. And it's been going on like, like that for endless lifetimes. It's cyclical, samsara, it's birth and death, the round of birth and death. whether it's animals, people, or even beings we can't see. Birth and death envelops us all and envelop, envelops everything we're involved with. So this reflection on the body, its impermanence, its conditioned nature is quite uh, 
brings some sadness with it, wakes us up, but brings a sadness, but the sadness leads on to turning away from attachment, no longer identifying with that which we know is bound to degenerate and fall away. The mind gives up its grasping and attachment and that giving up leads to a relinquishment and a release, vimuti, liberation of the heart from grasping, from attachment. This is why we have to keep developing the practice because sometimes our insight just does get stuck and we say, oh, everything is impermanent, not self. It can be quite depressing, but one has to keep going deeper to the root cause, going under the surface and going to the root cause, weeding out the different subtle forms of craving and attachment. There's obviously any form of depression or negativity based on some insight, well it's still a form of subtle craving. It's maybe a necessary step along the path. We might feel like that first, but then we progress in our practice and realize it's just what it is. There's no need to feel depressed about the truth. We just recognize the truth as it is. Body is impermanent. The pleasure that we can have with this body is impermanent. It's not lasting. Whether we could make all the money and attain all the wealth in this world, own all the land, all the possessions of this world, have all the pleasant experiences with other people in this world, in the end it's all impermanent. So the mind becomes stable and starts to recognize that. So it lets go doesn't bother so much about seeking worldly happiness. Rather it would seek the wisdom of insight and the clarity and the peace that that brings. Maybe even brings a sense of relief. One doesn't have to cling on to that which brings suffering. brings freedom from fear because if we contemplate to see the impermanence of this body then the fear of death obviously subsides once the mind understands death, body degenerates, disintegrates back to the four elements the mind goes to according to its karma so it's just a, another moment of consciousness the moment of death there's a split. More important than worrying about the body is to concern ourselves with the state of mind and abandoning defilement so that the mind is free, happy, peaceful, even at the moment of death. We have a strange <coughs> balancing act we have to do as we practice because, <coughs> especially in the beginning, because of our old habits. On the one hand, we have to be very firm 
with ourselves as we start to observe Michā Sankhapa arising, you know, desire for sensuality, maybe sexual fantasies, desire for worldly kinds of pleasures, enjoy, enjoyments, indulgences, and then desires based on aversion or even hatred and cruelty. As these arise, we have to be firm and recognize this is unwholesome, this must be abandoned. And our aim is to be immediate with that, to immediately recognize the unwholesome nature of of Kilesa and abandon immediately. On the other hand, we are developing the nurturing qualities of Sila and the Brahmaviharas, Yumeta, Karuna, Buddhita, Upeka. So on the one hand, we're calming the mind, relaxing, developing a sense of well-being from our Sila, from our Samadhi, kindness, compassion towards other beings, on the other hand, we're being very firm with Kalesa. So that also leads to some confusion sometimes, when to be firm, when to be relaxed, what to hold on to and develop, what to let go of. And this is what we call right effort. Right effort and samawayama. Our efforts only really become right, correct, when we understand what we should develop and what we should let go of and abandon. So it needs wise reflection. We learn the Dhamma, reflect on it in our own experience, back to our own candors again, taking what we've heard and might believe is right, but actually putting it into practice from moment to moment through our day. As we train in that, obviously it gets easier, more natural to turn away from defilement, let it go, even though it might still be coming up. At least we know what we're supposed to do with it. In the beginning, often we're not even sure what is defilement, what is not, what is wholesome and unwholesome. We have to invest some time into thinking about this, considering from the teachings then to our own experience. So we have to learn how to think correctly. Often in the beginning of practice, <clears throat> we say, I don't want any thoughts at all. I just want buddho, the mindfulness of buddho, samadhi, which is correct. But because we've invested so much time in thinking all our lives, we also have to learn first how to think correctly, to discern to consider wisely our own state of mind and what is wholesome and unwholesome. We train in that. That helps us to abandon the unwholesome and it helps the mind of Buddha to arise. It helps the development of samadhi. But we must invest some time into coming to understand our own minds. And this, nobody can do it for us we have to start recognizing our own state of mind through our day. As Ajahn Chah said, in the end it's quite enjoyable, it's fun because you're actually doing something very, very beneficial, very powerful, good karma. And you develop the tools and the qualities that you can, in any posture, just know your own mind and you know what you have to do if it's 
in an unwholesome state, you know you just have to abandon that, let it go. If it's a wholesome state, will you maintain it and develop it? And the more you do this, well, the more enjoyable it becomes because you know it's good for you, it's changing you for the better. It's good for others because as you improve, then you can do more good for others. It's good for the world. When there's enough mindfulness and insight, well, then all of the candors and the aspects of the candors, all the mental formations, the intentions, the moods, all become equal, of equal value, because they're all an ichi dukkha anatta. Pleasure and pain, wholesome, unwholesome, in the end they're all conditions. Probably the hardest of all is painful feelings based around the body. Again, back to the body. As we meditate, say, when we sit for longer periods, inevitably pain arises. So to keep contemplating rather than giving in and giving up the meditation but developing enough patience to sit with a bit of pain and look at it arising and changing, passing away. Or walking for longer, walk more continuously up and down on your path for longer periods <coughs> till you can develop more patience to see Vaitana as just Vaitana pleasure or pain. This is probably where we might have the clearest insight into the nature of the kendas as anicca dukkha anatta, and we work with Vaitana, not giving in to our reactions of desire for pleasure and aversion to pain, but just knowing with mindfulness and equanimity. So we're training in that, learning to sit regularly, and maybe sit a bit longer over time, to walk regularly, to observe the waitener around food, the hunger, the waitener of hunger, the waitener of the feeling of fullness, the waitener around sleep, when we've had a lot of sleep, or a little sleep, or no sleep, all these basic areas of our lifestyle are areas to study and learn. But in the context of observing these five candors as they are, until we can have equanimity towards the candors, not grasp onto them and react to them with self. If we can keep doing that, and then little by little that experience of calming the mind and investigating, seeing the truth, that's what leads to release, a sense of brightness. In the beginning we can only trust in the word of the Buddha and Ajahn Chah and all our teachers that it can work for human beings, they can do this and it is worth it, it brings us real liberation. But as we practice then we're no longer having to just rely on our teachers, but we can see for ourselves one thing leads to another. If we keep practicing, then that sense of equanimity and peace will grow and be more, be stronger and more clear for us if we keep going. 
So I'll leave you with these words for your reflection tonight. 